The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we say thank you for your kindness to us. It gives us so much, so much that we've experienced and even sung of today. You give us your son. You give us life in him. You give us an inheritance that's kept in heaven. You give us an expectation of his return, a promise. We are a richly blessed people. You are a generous God. Thank you. Will you help us then, as we know these things, will you help us to live in light of them, to stand upon them, to trust them, and particularly to look forward in faith, killing anxiety. Lord, help us with that this morning in particular, to look forward in faith, striking a blow against anxiety that often rules us, that tends to control us, to see you as the generous God who has done so much for us and promises in the future to do much more still, to carry us every step of the way all along our lives. That's true, help us to see it and particularly help us to stand on it, to trust it, to trust you. Lord, this passage this morning has a lot of words in it, a lot of concepts, it's gonna take us to a lot of different places. Will you help make clear to the individual person, the individual here, what exactly that person, each one of us needs to hear. Make that clear this morning, individually, please. God, my words, get our hearing, clear away all distractions and help us to, to listen, to think, to consider, to grow, to walk with you in faith, free from anxiety. Help us, Lord, we pray. Towards that end, give us your spirit and power and open up your word to us now. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Two weeks ago, in our study of what has come to be called the Sermon on the Mount, we considered Jesus' call to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. That's what he said to us. He encouraged us to do that. And that's a good thing for us. It's treasure for ourselves in heaven. But as we followed his teaching through, this is in chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, we realized as we came through it that his main concern was not just something that would be like an accumulation of gain for us, but his concern, in fact, was that we live following and serving the Lord faithfully. So where he came to at the end there, verse 24, we've got a choice, we've, we've got an option, an either-or situation. We can only serve one master. And we will serve either the God who is or we will serve the stuff of earth. Wealth, treasures here. So he was calling us heavenward, calling us to lift up our eyes and seek and serve the kingdom and his righteousness. That's who we're made for. That's what we're made for. That's what we're saved for. That was two weeks ago. And coming out of that then, we hear that and we say, yes, okay, I want to serve the Lord. I want to follow him. I want to live for his kingdom. I don't want to live for the here and now. But then, very naturally, often, a thought arises, but you know, I am living here and now. And I'm in the midst of some situations. The, the economy is kind of a little bit unstable right now, and inflation is such and such, and my job is kind of in question. And there's rumor of war. There is war, and there's rumor of war in the world. And what does that mean for me and for my loved ones? And speaking of my loved ones, actually one of my relatives is actually pretty seriously ill right now. And, and, and there's a lot of stuff, and frankly, some of that stuff is concerning. So, yes, focus on heavenly gain, serve the Lord, but what does that mean, that idea now for this stuff here? How do I live with this stuff here? And that brings us to today's passage with its constant call from Jesus. Focus on God's kingdom, seeking and serving him, 
anxious about nothing here. Free from anxiety here. Do not be anxious about the stuff of earth. As such, the previous passage in this one are very closely connected. We tend to, often we've seen this in the Sermon on the Mount, we tend to take things, kind of like drop in and grab a section or grab, a, grab even a verse or a sentence, and this is one of those that we tend to pull out and look at the analogies here, and we don't consider it in the larger context. Jesus is talking in tandem with seek the kingdom of God, seek the treasure that's in heaven, and don't worry about the stuff here. They are very closely connected. We can live consumed by, wrapped up in the stuff of earth with a gimme, 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 gimme sense. That was the previous passage. And we can live just as consumed and wrapped up in the stuff of earth with a, not a gimme, 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 but a hand-wringing. How am I going to get, how am I going to hold on to the stuff that I really need? Both cases, we're living as if this is life. Tragically. Because in both places, in both cases, we're missing the life that is to come, the life that is ours, and the rest and the peace and the joy that is found in serving God and seeking his kingdom, first and foremost. Jesus wants to help us with that. And so that's what we're going to look at today here at the end of Matthew chapter 6. So let me read the passage and then draw from it two observations. This is... 6, beginning in verse 25 through the end. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus, the end of Matthew 6. So that's the text. Two observations from it. Here's the first. Our sovereign Father gives everything needed especially to us, his children. You hear that emphasis, especially to us, because what I really mean to say is God gives everything needed by anything, anywhere. God, our sovereign Father, gives everything needed, especially to us, to you, Christian, his child. Verse 25 Jesus says, therefore, don't be anxious about your life. That is, don't be anxious about what you'll eat or drink to sustain your life. So anxiety and worry here and then in 27 and 28 and 31 and twice in 34. Obviously, that's the theme in this passage here. Again, 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 he comes back to anxiety and worry. Don't be anxious, Christian, which means, actually, don't be ruled by anxiety. We're people. We live in a world with stuff that happens and, and feelings are going to pop up. We're, we're going to get phone calls. We're going to bump into circumstances that are going to be trying and painful and hard and anxiety will pop up and what Jesus is laying his finger on is what do you do with that? When it happens, are you ruled by it? Are you controlled by it? Don't be. Seek the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, without worry. It's pretty clear. We're not to be anxious about the basic necessities, things we all really need. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, your body, what you'll put on. And he repeats that, that's where he begins, and he repeats it again in verse 31, kind of the bookends of the section. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're tending to do, and he's saying, no. 
And while he lists a couple of specific things, food and drink, he means this to be completely comprehensive. The stuff that we need for life. So, not just food and clothing, but health and safety and security of all sorts. What do you need to sustain your life and care for it? No anxiety about any of that. And that probably strikes us a little odd because we know we do it. It's so common. How can Jesus say don't to something that feels like breathing? It's so common. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, this is, you read the Bible and you see something of the character of God, particularly often the character of Jesus in how he deals with people. He gives hard statements and then almost always immediately gives help. This, here's how. This, let me shape it for you. And immediately here, he gives this hard statement which strikes us as like almost impossible. Here, no anxiety, let me help you. Immediately he begins to reason with us, telling us to think carefully. He says, look, consider. So, let's look, let's consider. Worried about the necessities of life? Well, think about it. How do the birds get food? Verse 26. They don't farm or harvest. Of course not. So why does he say that? To just remind us, point out something, we tend to think something has to happen in a certain way. And he says, actually it doesn't. There's lots of different ways to do this. Not even miraculous supernatural ways. Birds, they don't, they don't plant and harvest, but they sure do pick around in the dirt and skim the surface of the water. I mean, they go out and they, they pursue as God has designed them to. They pursue food. His point is just that you tend to think, we tend to think, it has to happen in a certain way. And he's saying, actually, there's a lot of ways to skim this cat, and it gets done. Well, more properly, I do it. Your heavenly Father feeds them, he says. He's not their heavenly Father. He's yours, Christian. Your heavenly Father feeds them. In, in a way, sure, of course, God made the birds, God made everybody on earth, God sustains them all, God brings everything they need to them. Yes, so in some way, he is theirs, he owns them. But Jesus is making a little point here, a subtle but important point. He's your father. If you are in Christ, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, Christ's cross alone especially, then God has chosen to make himself your father. He's adopted you into his family. And just to be clear, because there are a lot of religious people who will use the language of grace alone, faith alone, Christ, faith in Christ alone, and what they really mean, a lot of religious people, even people right around here, what they mean is that's the decisive factor. Other stuff too, yes, but without this, it wouldn't work. Grace alone. Plus this. That's not what the Bible, that's not what Christians mean. When we say alone, we mean nothing else. This only, 100%, the grace of God. 100% faith. 100% in Christ's cross. That's the gospel. So 100%, if you are a person who by the grace of God only has trusted only in Christ's cross only, then God said, I'm yours, you're mine. You're a Christian. He's become your father. And Jesus is saying, what good father puts bird seed in the feeder and forgets to feed his kids? None. None. Your father feeds the birds, and especially you. You are so much more precious to him. God feeds the birds, and of course you. See the argument there. He knows what you need, verse 32. 
Won't he give you what he knows you need? He gives the birds what he knows they need, and he clothes the grass and sustains it. Even though grass flowers are very short-lived and temporary. I mean, they're here, to, here today, and they're, they're fuel for the fire. People use them as cooking fuel. I mean, he doesn't just give to things that have a little bit of longevity to them. It's stuff that, how long do the tulips last? I mean, weeks. And he clothes them. And actually, you know, he doesn't just clothe them with, like, simple bare necessity. He's kind of spendy in that he, he dresses them up, though they're gone quickly. He paints them with beautiful colors and he makes some of the leaves pointy and some have stripes, some have edges. Some are more ordinary than others, but lots of, lots of just over-the-top generosity from the God who makes and sustains and gives everything. Won't he also to you who are his, ch- his child who lives for forever? Won't he clothe you too? That's Jesus reasoning with us. That's the argument. Verses 26 to 30. He begins it and then wraps it up by resetting the exhortation. So don't be anxious about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. The Gentiles, that is the world, the non-believing world out there, they seek after all this stuff anxious and worried. But not you, not you, not you. You've got a father who is good, a father who has claimed you as his own, a father who cares for you, a father who is generous, a father who knows what you need. He'll give it to you. He'll provide. So, 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you're going to worry about tomorrow. Just forget about tomorrow and just focus on today. Which is not, just as a little side note, is not a contradiction of other biblical teaching about planning and saving. This is a context about anxiety. What he's saying is don't worry. Because God's got it. That's the argument. And Jesus calls us to think about that. A couple times he says things like, look, consider. He's reasoning with us here. He wants us to think about that. So there's something here to wrap your minds around. And I would imagine, I would imagine that most of us in this room have heard this passage a number of times, have heard it preached, have read it, are familiar with it. So there's something valuable to put that in front of you and say, remember this. Look. Look. Jesus says this is true. Jesus says that your Father will, in the future, give you everything you need. And so it's helpful for us to to look at that and ask yourself, ask each, each of us, ask ourselves a question Do I believe that? Because the real issue here is actually faith. We're going to come to that in a little bit. But the question is not, do I know it? The question is, do I believe it? Do I trust it? Do I depend on it? So that's actually worth thinking about. So consider, ask yourself, do I trust this? Okay. However, I think there's some help if we kind of hover over this for just a minute and think it through one more time, because as I said, a lot of us are familiar with this passage, and I think a lot of us easily, as I'm, as I'm going through that, I'm talking about all that, a lot of us are kind of easily nodding and saying, sure, I get the, heard, heard that a dozen times, the birds, I get that, the trees, flowers, plants, get that, sure, yes. Makes sense. But... Maybe something else also runs through your mind. Um, Sometimes people, Christians included, lose our jobs and run out of money and starve even to death. And people, Christians included, get cancer and get attacked and get in car accidents and our bodies are in some way afflicted, injured, maimed, even killed. That's what I'm anxious about. So I totally get 
Maybe this thought's running through your mind. I totally get that the passage says that when I eat, I, I seem to have gathered that in, but it was actually God who fed me. I totally get that God's the one who does that. But the evidence also would suggest that sometimes God doesn't do that. And that's the problem. So exactly how is this an antidote to anxiety? I mean, look around. People die. People get hurt. Here's what a lot of good Christians do. Never mind that because the preacher just said that the passage says that God will provide for the birds and that means that God will provide for me. So I guess I just can't think about that and I will just trust the Lord to provide. But I'm really kind of wondering... How does that help? Have you ever thought about that? You ever tried to like put it away? Well, don't. Bring it up. Bring it right back. Because this passage actually does help with that. When you move back through it again. And for me, this, this was at first odd. And then oddly helpful. And then oddly powerful. So we got to walk back through something and look at actually the part I skipped. Do you notice I didn't touch on all the passage? I skipped something. Because the larger part of this passage, as in like the number of words that we usually focus on, the part with the birds and the part with Solomon and the grasses and all that stuff, that's actually the second argument in the passage. And it's actually seated in a, in a larger, bigger context. Fewer words, bigger argument, where Jesus actually starts. Which is odd at first, but I think, as I said, I found it oddly powerful. And so let's circle back. The anxiety that's addressed here, of course, is the worry about where am I going to get what I need, the food that I need for life, etc., the clothes, and the care for my body. And, of course, the bulk of the passage discusses that, but we skipped over the last sentence of verse 25. Look back there at the end of verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? So look closely at that. Jesus is saying the things you're worried about, the necessities, you're worried about food because you need it for life. And you're worried about money that buys food and jobs that bring money and education and healthy bodies along with economies and market trends that secure jobs for money, for food, for life. That's what we're all anxious about. And Jesus says, let's move up one level from, from all of the, the, the money, the jobs, the economy, all, move, move up one level to something higher than that. You know what's more important than food and money and jobs and economies? Life itself. Life is. Life is more than food, greater than food. The body's more than, greater than the clothing you put on it. Which, again, you might say, sure, of course, get that. So why did he say this? Jesus is pointing out something about a greater thing, in this case, life itself, that tells us a lot of other things, about all the lesser subordinate connected things. Like if I say, or if someone says to you, I'm going to give you a car. They also mean, and I'm going to give you a steering wheel and some seat belts, a transmission, a gas tank, four tires, brake pads. They didn't, they didn't delineate all those little things, but nobody's going to give you the car after having taken the steering wheel off. They might not give you the jumper cables. They're in the car, but they're not connected. But the things that are, that are intimately, inherently part of the car, they meant, and you know they meant, that all of that's coming together. Nobody's going to give you, I'm going to give you a car, and they're going to drop off on a flatbed truck the plastic shell. You know that. The greater thing tells you a bunch about all the lesser subordinate connected things. Well, life is more than food. Okay? 
So think it through. God gave you life. All by himself. Okay? For what reasons, what purposes did God give you life? I mean, exactly. I'm not talking about generally like for the glory of God. I mean, like, what does he mean for your life to be about to do? I don't know. I don't even know what my life was about yesterday. It already happened, and I can tell you some things that I did, but I don't really, really know why I did all those things or what all those things meant for all the hundreds and thousands of other people that I came in contact with, what the ramifications for all that. I don't really even know what's going on with my life yesterday, let alone tomorrow or next week. I don't know what my life is about, nor do you. For how long has he given you life? Nobody knows. Except God. God knows, and hear this, and through all this, you've got to think like a Christian here. Think like a Christian knowing where this goes. Because in some ways, for some of us, this might be like a little pointed. But here's the truth. God knows exactly the second, minute, hour, day, year that you are going to die. He knows exactly with certainty the second you're going to draw your last breath. And therefore, with certainty, that's fixed. And not a one of us can add an hour to the span of our lives. Not by worrying about it, not by doing anything else. I and you, I have an appointment on the divine calendar. I don't know when that is. And there's a lot of other questions about how we get there. Just as a real quick aside, we are not in a fatalistic world. What we do is how God gets us there. But we're not changing that point. That appointment is made and God will keep it. So God gave life. God gave the duration of life. And in the meantime, God is accomplishing with my life and with yours all, all, all of the things that he means to accomplish, all of his purposes and all of his intentions, all of it is being carried out as he has determined. And he will give the necessities you need for the life he's given you, for the length of time he's given you to accomplish the purposes he's given you. He gave you life, and that tells you everything you know about everything beneath that the duration, the purposes, and the sustenance. And when God determines that all of that, all of his purposes and all of his time is over, he will withdraw the gift of life and he will withdraw the gift of the necessities that sustain life. And you will die and you will go to a far better place to be with the Lord. It is far better to be absent from the body than to be with the Lord, is it not? Says Paul. Christian, you've got to think like a Christian here. This is not bad news. This is really, really good news. Which is why I say it's odd, and then it comes around to be oddly clear and then oddly powerful. This is actually very good news. So take heart and don't fret. The two lines of the length of my life and the length of God's provision for my life are the exact same length because the same God decreed them both. The sovereign God gives everything that is needed for exactly the amount of time he needs it. It's like when a parent sends a kid off to the store with a list and some money. If I'm a wise parent, I know what I put on the list, I know how much it costs, and I gave you enough money for it. God's a wise parent. The problem is we go to the store worried because we see the limited resources and forget it's a finite list. Let me say this again in a different way because perhaps this is complicated. It is complicated, perhaps it's confusing. Our whole problem with anxiety, big picture, our whole problem is that we have not thought about 
and carefully considered what it means that God gives life. This argument does not work for the non-Christian who doesn't believe this. But that's not you. You're a Christian who believes. God gave me life of a certain time for a certain purpose. And the problem is that we forget that. We don't think through and consider that God sovereignly reigns and cares for us for a finite, God-determined time and purpose. And how long it goes and how it goes is planned by him. Instead, we start off right out of the gate assuming our own timing and purposes. Check this. We start out, out of the gate, assuming, given that my goal is to live forever without any discomfort, that's where I start, and now I'm frantically running around in life trying to find the resource to accomplish living forever without discomfort. And every time I worry that I might not be able to accumulate enough resources to live forever without discomfort, I experience the anxiety. I'm not sure I can pull it off. I'm not sure I can gather enough together. And the answer is you can't and you won't. Start with a different paradigm. Start with the truth. You see, if you start with the truth, a lot of this just goes right away. God gives all that is needed, life and everything to sustain the life he has for you. Nothing else is even possible, let alone desirable. So why worry? He will feed you, his child. He will clothe you, his child. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He forsook Christ so as to claim you and make you his own and to promise to you forever, I'm going to walk with you all the way through this. I'm going to feed you all the way through this. For what I have for you, I'm going to, I'm going to sustain it all. I, I will, I will, I will, I will, I promise. And then the end will come. How will he do it? I don't know. Sometimes that's pretty hard to see. May not do it in the ways that I anticipate, but there's no need to be anxious about it. Not today, not tomorrow, not ever. Consider that. Life is more than food, and God gave life. And so God will give the food like he gives it to the birds. He'll give you the clothes like he gives it to the grass. How? Maybe not in ways you anticipate, but he will. He knows you need it. He can be trusted. Look at that and consider it. That's the main part of the argument. That's the first point. God gives everything needed, especially to you as child. Consider that. It's the beginning of freedom from anxiety, but it's just the beginning because thinking about and knowing these things is actually not the problem. Problem is faith. Or really, little faith, as Jesus says at the end of verse 30. That's where we turn next. Second point. Here's the second observation freedom from anxiety, then, comes from actively depending on God's promised future grace. Freedom from anxiety then comes from actively depending on God's promised future grace. So there's a lot here in this passage, obviously. He will, will, will about what he will provide in the future. It's future provision, that is future grace. And he raises the point of, at the end of verse 30, oh, you of little faith. It's faith is on the table, anxiety is on the table, promised future grace is on the table. And so, in some way, I was tempted to, and I think probably some of us were expecting me to make this whole sermon about living by faith and future grace. It's some, some of the language we've been using in recent months here. We preached about it at our men's retreat. I preached about it here on the Sunday of men's retreat at the very end of January. And I could really easily pull the section of that sermon from Philippians that was about do not be anxious, same stuff, and drop it right in here and make it the second point, and you're done. 
I'm not going to do that. But if you want to think about that, go back and listen to that sermon in which in more detail I explain this concept. I'm not trying to explain a concept this morning. I'm trying to preach this passage in its context here. So, I just want to point out, there's a lot here that is about the future promises of God. There's a lot here that as you think it through, you say like, okay, I get that. And while it may be sobering that I have an appointment on a divine calendar that is the end of my life, and it may be sobering to think that I've got a finite provision until then, that is true. Okay, I believe that. I believe that. We usually say that like that. I I believe that. Technically, what we should say is, I understand and agree with that. Because it's not exactly belief in the way that Jesus means it in this passage. It's fine in English. It's fine in English. We, We can say that. But we should understand the problem is, I understand and agree with all those things, and yet I'm still anxious. Why am I still anxious? Not just why does anxiety rise up in me, but why does it run my life so often? And it does. Why? Well, quick disclaimer, an aside here. Some people, indeed, indeed, in our congregation, in the world in general, some people do for sure have a medical condition of one sort or another that makes it easier to be agitated in some way or another. I'm not saying it does not mean that this medical condition causes anxiety. What what I am saying, what it does mean, is that for some of us, the way our bodies are, it just is easier for adrenaline to get pumping. It is easier for our minds to start working and running. And if that's you, and if you struggle with that, check that out medically, maybe treat that medically. Some of us are there. And all of us, this group included, all of us are in this passage still. All of us are in this passage still, dealing with the stuff that comes at us from life. And whether it's easier or harder for our minds to get running, for our adrenaline to get pumping, for for the wheels to go worry, 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 whether it's easier or harder, we all experience that, and we all are under the OU of little faith indictment from Jesus. And when I say the word indictment, sometimes a Christian feels like, ah, indictment. Okay, does God love you or not? Yeah. We have to use the word indictment, though, to be clear that he, what he's not doing is talking to us like a friend. Hey, you know, you might want to look at. He means that's the problem. I tell you in love, that's the problem. Oh, you of little faith. He's our friend. He loves us. And he's crystal clear about what the problem is. And he tells us straight up, Oh, you of little faith. You follow the logic. You understand it. You understand it and agree with it, but you don't believe it. Not enough. Another way might say faith or belief. See what I'm getting at here. What he's getting at here is you don't depend on God's promised provision, his future grace. You don't trust it. You trust something else. You don't stand on it as a certainty. You run around looking elsewhere. Faith is about acting, about living, as if these things actually are true. Taking them at what they actually say, taking them at face value, and acting as if I think that's the way it is. God will, for sure, provide what I need. So, like a child at home, you're never, no five-year-old is worried about, is there going to be any food for dinner tonight? It just says, what's for dinner? You just come in around 5 or 5.30 and say, what are we having for dinner tonight? There isn't any thought of, will there be? There's no worry there. To live and to act as if these things are true. 
to actually take God up on it and lean into it. That's faith. To live believing. Believing, trusting, hoping in. Those are all forward-looking words. God has promised he will feed you. I look ahead at that and say, I believe that. And anxiety shows you where you don't. Anxiety shows you, I understand that, but I actually think I've got a better option or a needed other option. So faith, little faith, little dependence, little trust, that's, that's the issue. How do we grow in that? How do you grow in trusting anybody? How do you grow in trusting anybody? You check out their character. You try to check out, if you can, some sort of a track record. And while with human beings, we always say past performance is no certain indication of future performance. That's true with human beings. But thankfully, with God, past performance is connected, is certain. So we, we want to check out character. We want to check out track record. What is the past performance? That's how we do with anybody. We, we want to grow in trusting another person. I want to figure out who you are, and I want to watch you a little bit to see how you are. Who is he and how is he? you got to look back to figure out who is he and how is he. You can look back, I think, you can look back at God's provision for you, his giving you what you need at certain points in your life. You can look back maybe even at some really, really unexpected things. You can look back at that and see. You can look back further, ultimately, to the cross and the empty tomb. The Christian life is always lived looking back to the cross and empty tomb and then turning around and coming forward from there, given that he went to the cross for me and rose again from the dead and claimed me as his child. Everything else is clear. I see who he is and I see how he is. I see his, his power and his wisdom and his grace and his love and his mercy towards me. I see it there and he would not have saved me to screw me. Think about it like that. He saved me to save me. He gave me the car and everything in it. He gave me eternal life and everything in that. That's what he did for you. That's who he is and how he is. So you stand here getting the phone call in the night about the tragedy that just happened and your throat is full of your stomach and your chest. And it, don't beat yourself up. Don't be anxious. No, no, you're anxious. Something has happened. What are you going to do with it right there? Who is he and how is he? Who is he and how is he? And you put the phone down and you start to put on some clothes and head to the hospital. Who is he and how is he? And you probably have to say it like a thousand times on the way to the hospital. It's not a one and done thing. This is a fight for faith. And Jesus is trying to be crystal clear. The problem is faith. And if you don't fight, you will be ruled by anxiety and controlled by this world. A tragic life. Because of what it is and because of what it isn't, you're going to miss out on the opportunity to walk with God in rest, sorrowing and yet ever rejoicing. Who is he and how is he? on the way to the hospital. Who is he and how is he when you lose your job? Who is he and how is he when you can't figure out how to pay the mortgage? I mean, all the time, all the time. None of this is easy, but it's real. You can probably look back and see times in your life when you knew it was real. And in the moment when you're questioning and wondering, you gotta look back and say, I see who he is, I see how he is. I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. Help me to trust you with what's coming up tomorrow. That's faith in God's promised future grace. And it is, not, it is not a passive faith. It is a fight. It is an active faith. 
He doesn't say just don't be anxious. He says seek. Do something. Seek the kingdom in his righteousness. I don't sit back and say, Lord, help. I say, help. I move forward and I seek the kingdom and his righteousness. This is not unique to this section. This is what Jesus always says. That's, that's the Christian life, is to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. To seek, Lord, the one who is above you, the values that are above you, the inheritance that is above you, and then righteousness, which in this context in the Gospel of Matthew, you'll recall, means not only the righteous standing, but the walk of righteousness that is far superior to that of the Pharisees. Remember that? Remember all that? Live out righteously. Walk obediently. So I, I turn to him. I turn myself to him. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Show me who you are. Show me how you are. Show me the inheritance that is mine. Show me the certainty of your giving all that I need to me. Show me because I'm struggling right now. That's an active, aggressive faith. That in the meantime is obedient. I do what I'm supposed to do. I plant, maybe with tears, but I plant, trusting there will be a harvest one day. A hundred other things, but it's not passive, it's very active. Living by faith in the promised future provision of God is very active. It is a seeking of Him, it is a seeking of Him and His values and His kingdom, and it is an obedient walk in the meantime. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness. Maybe, boil this all down and wrap it up, you might be helped, this might be too mechanical for you, but you might be helped by something that I used to do more of than I do now. I found it differently helpful at a different point in my life. But take a pencil and a piece of paper, and when you find yourself continually coming back to, but I'm afraid of, but I'm afraid of, but I'm worried about, Take the pencil and the paper and write that down. What am I anxious about? And sometimes you've got to ask that a couple different times because you've got to drill down into it a couple times. Well, I'm anxious that the lab report is going to be cancer. Okay, who cares? Because I guess I'm anxious. Well, I'm a little anxious I'm going to die, but I'm also anxious about that's going to hurt. Okay. Is that it, really, or is there more? And, and I'm anxious that I'm going to leave my kids behind. I'm going to die. Okay, keep drilling down until you get it. And for me, at least, it often, when I got it, I knew it. Like, that's the issue, actually. I'm actually worried about that. Then, go hunting for the promised future grace that speaks to that. It's there. It's there. Who's going to care for your kids? I don't know. Who gave them life? Not you. He'll give them what they need. He'll bring other people around to give them what they need. You find somewhere. Find and then write that down right next to it. And then I used to make myself, maybe this will help you, I used to make myself circle one or the other. This is true or this is true. Pick. Because this is the problem. We often leave it that and we dodge and we walk away still anxious. Take yourself in hand. This is what taking your thoughts captive and submitting them to Christ looks like. You take, take yourself in hand and say, I'm going to pick one or the other and I'm going to circle it. And I can't make my pencil circle the unbelieving one. I'm a Christian. So I circle the other one, and then I'm with my, I believe this, but help my unbelief, and I know what I'm fighting over. And I got the truth from the Bible written on this page to stick in my mind again and again and again and again. That mechanical process of forcing myself to trust God's promised future grace, maybe that'll help you. Maybe it's too mechanical for you. You do you. But the teaching of the passage is that God cares for all the creation, especially you as child. Especially you as child. He's given you life 
giving you a duration of life, giving you a purpose in life, and he'll give you what you need to accomplish his purposes for the length that he wants you to do it. He came, he claimed you, never to leave you nor forsake you. And the whole of his message to you is one gigantic promise that is progressively being fulfilled as you walk through life on towards heaven. All given to you day by day by your heavenly Father. Hallowed be his name. Seek his kingdom. May his kingdom come and be done in your life. And in the meantime, may he give you what you need day by day. Let me pray. I'm going to pray particularly that we would have all the details that are complicated from this sorted out and settled in us and that something of a release of anxiety may come to some of us here. Let me pray. Father, help. Some of this stuff is, is heady and high and hard and will you please settle it to the individual person here that needs to hear this or that. Will you settle this or that and make it clear? And for each of us, no matter where we are, if we're in the middle of something deep or just about to be one day, for each of us, will you release us from the fear of trying to sustain our own lives? Release us from anxiety, from being ruled by that, please. Show us who you are and how you are again and again and again and move us to the life of seeking your kingdom while walking here righteously with you. You're good and you're kind. We love you, we trust you. Do this work, grow us up. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.